Welcome to this episode of the Network Marketing Heroes Podcast, hosted by 38-year network marketing veteran, author of best-selling books, The Four-Year Career, and Mach 2 with Your Hair on Fire, and world-renowned speaker, Richard Blissbrook. Stay tuned after this episode for an exclusive discount code to get 10% off Richard's tools on blissbusiness.com. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, another awesome hero call. We have a record number of people that have registered to be on this call tonight. So this young lady must have quite the following around the country. Over 1,400 of you reserved a spot for the call tonight. Uh, and for those people that perhaps could not get on, we're going to leave uh, this call up for an additional uh, four days. So instead of two days, it's going to be up for seven days on Bliss Business where you can just go listen to it. And, you know, uh, one of the things that I was taught early on in my career is, you know, I was given tapes to listen to. And 40 years ago, there weren't very many tapes to listen to. But what really transformed me and transformed the people that I was working with was the idea of everywhere we drove our cars or whenever we were walking or hiking or just doing anything that where we could listen to something, we listen to these tapes over and over and over again. And that's really my vision for these hero calls is that you all get these calls, which you can get through iTunes and just plug those into your phone or however you listen to stuff and spend the time that you spend driving and working out or doing those kinds of things and just let the belief systems of these extraordinary leaders that have built huge empires just let those belief systems permeate your body and they'll take over your mind. They'll take over your belief systems and you'll start to expand and you'll start to see more possibilities and you'll start to be stronger and feel stronger. And that's how you learn to believe is studying these things over and over and over again. So you can't listen to them too many times. You'll notice from the format tonight that at Bliss Business we have some philosophies. We, we only pick leaders to interview that subscribe to these philosophies. And we're, uh, we're in the no hype zone here. Uh, we're in the high integrity zone in Bliss Business. So we pick leaders that have built long-standing organizations in very legitimate companies uh, with great brands and great products. And they've done it with honor and integrity. And on top of that, they are people that have gone through the gauntlet of our interview process so that they've provided us with the statistics about how they've gone about building your business. At Bliss Business, we're very big on statistics, on how many people you have to invite to the opportunity before you can do a presentation, and how many presentations you have to do before you enroll somebody as a business builder. And what we're going to focus on tonight is you know, how many business builders you have to enroll before you end up with somebody that actually goes out and builds a business and creates some depth with you and builds an empire. And, and then, you know, what does that turn into from the standpoint of geometric progressions, which, you know, that's the eighth wonder of the world, and we're the only profession out there that gets to take advantage of it for wealth building. Tonight's guest is uh, very special. We've never met, but I feel like we're friends because of Facebook. I met Christy. <laughs> I met Christy on on Facebook, and fortunately, she had one of five thousand slots open for me, and we became friends. And I kind of watched her story a little bit evolve, and, uh, and then I saw she had a book uh, called LOL, which stands for Love Out Loud. And so uh, I think you sent me the book, Christy, uh, and I read it recently on a flight. Uh, from San Francisco to Honolulu, and really, really enjoyed it. Um, but tonight we're going, we have the honor of interviewing Christy Dryling from Kansas, quite the magnificent Arbon leader. Christy, you are here, aren't you? I'm here. <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> to be here. Thank you. That's good. <laughs> That's excellent <laughs> that you're here. Well, let me, uh, folks. Let me tell you a little bit about Christy, and then we'll get uh, right into the interview. She has, uh, she has the kind of resume that you could easily listen to a resume and say, well, of course she could build a big Arbonne business, but what about me? And you could do that with her story, but that wouldn't serve you. 
What I suggest you do with her story is spin it in your mind like this. If Chrissy Dryling sees network marketing as an opportunity for building wealth for her family, for, for she and Scott and the kids, then probably everyone on your chicken list is a candidate to see network marketing for a wealth building opportunity because everybody on your chicken list probably has a resume that intimidates you. And Christy might have a resume that intimidates people, but it lends great credibility to our profession. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. She is, she is currently a career coach and a, and a mega leader with Arbonne. But before that, she was a model. For 20 years, she modeled for, for brands like Maybelline and Teen Magazine, Hallmark, Budweiser, De Beers Diamonds, The Science Diet, Harley, and Harley-Davidson. Um, she's, even, she's done commercials for Walmart, beauty brands, Budweiser, NASCAR, Anderson Erickson, Hollywood Casino, and a lot more. She's uh, a fashion photographer with over 1,500 model comps in the Midwest. And in 1912, she held the title, or 2012, she held the title of Mrs. Kansas in the United States. She's uh, co-produced the celebrated film, The 25,000-Mile Love Story, which won more than 22 film festival awards. She's authored three books, including the nationally recognized Love Out Loud, which I read and really, really enjoyed. She's got an extraordinary story, and we're going to dive into uh, how she did it, being married to Scott. She's got three kids. I think you still live in Kansas, Christy, but if you live somewhere else, tell us about that too. But uh, what, what I want to start with, Christy, is uh, an important part of the hero interviews is we want to know exactly how you got approached about network marketing. Where were you? What were you doing? Who approached you? and mostly interested in how you knew this person, or did you know them? And what did they say to you that captured your attention, if in fact they did capture your attention the first time? Maybe they didn't. So can we, can we just dive into you telling us that story? How did you get in Arbonne? Okay, Victor. Well, thanks for having me. I, I feel so blessed and honored to be here to give my heart and my soul to all of you this evening, and hopefully you'll walk away with um, some inspiration that will inspire you to take your business and life to the next level. I was actually working as a fashion photographer. I was on a shoot, and I, was, uh, I had a, a big day that day. I had 12 models lined up. And I was not a girly girl. I didn't actually have any girlfriends. I always joke that I didn't like girls. Uh, so I showed up on my fashion shoot with like a ball cap, no makeup, uh, jeans, flip-flops. I, you know, I really was not what you would imagine would be someone that would be perfect for my industry. But what's weird is that two weeks before this shoot, I had been struggling with my skin, and I had no money. And I remember just putting the intention out there, please just give me something that works for my skin, and I need more money. And I let it go. I know that my whole life changed. This woman showed up. Her name was Linda. She has the most beautiful skin I'd ever seen. And I said to her, what in the world do you use? And she said, Arbonne. She went to her... She went to her car, she grabbed the sample packet out, and she gave it to me. And I was really excited to use it. You know, it wasn't, I, I, I truly believe that this was a divine appointment. Because this will give you some goosies, my friends. Literally seven years earlier, I was standing in a seamstress shop getting my wedding gown altered. And guess who was on the floor seaming my dress? And I never knew it. Linda. Who? Linda. The, the woman that sponsored me. I never knew that she was on her knees seeming my wedding dress. Seven years later, I was ready to hear her. I wasn't ready then. I was ready seven years later. Did she invite you when you, she was hemming your wedding dress? No. It was like our paths were just crossing. She was on the floor looking up at me. 
And I was so in my own world. I was getting married. I had a new baby. It was all these things. I wasn't even thinking that I needed to, to pursue a business. So I think that's the power of what it is we do. A lot of times people share this business with someone or they don't, and then they don't go back to them. Or they don't, you know, they don't ask them again. Things change in people's lives. So I, I, I find that it was just a divine intervention, and I feel like um, that's really, if you're an intuitive networker in our industry, you will be guided to the people that want what you have. So what exactly, what exactly did Linda say to you that captured your attention? The thing is she didn't have to because I tried the sample and I loved it. I actually entered the business because I couldn't afford to get the products. I just spent a ton of money on photography equipment. And I called her and asked her if she would barter some skincare with me. I'd take pictures of her and she'd give me skincare, and we did that. And then when I ran out, three months later, I was just using the product. I ran out, I called her, I said, can I take pictures of your dog because I'm out of product again? And she's like, uh, no, but why don't you have a party? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't do that. Like, I don't have friends. I don't even like women. And, you know, and you'll know why soon when I share more of my story. Um, but she just invited me to take a, you know, take a look, to, to earn some products. And, and that's what did it for me. It really did. I mean, it, that night I thought it was fun and people were engaged and they were excited. And I was, I was excited and I thought, what is happening here? Something feels really good. People are happy and girls are excited for each other. I like the way this feels. And so that's where the journey began. I thought I'd just make a couple hundred dollars, Richard. I thought this will be shoe money that my husband will never be able to tell me what to do with it. <laughs> and um, that obviously evolved because I began to see that our industry is different. It is full of people that genuinely care about your success. They're not trying to one-up you or step over you or gossip about you. It was this collaboration of souls who are dreamers, and that was so attractive to me. So you've never done network marketing before, Arbonne, correct? No, no. Actually, I avoided okay. any time I get invited to anything. I'm like, I don't do that, and I just throw it in the trash, throw it in the trash, throw it in the trash. It was n never anything on my radar. Okay. So how many people came to your first party? Well, it's kind of funny because um, since I didn't have a lot of girlfriends, uh, I thought, well, who in the heck am I going to invite? So I went to Walmart. I got some blue, you know, pretty paper and put facial beer, pizza, wine, kind of have a good time. And I just started – you know, handing them out at Girls at Aerobics and uh, Preschool Moms. And I literally said this, Richard. Listen, your girlfriend over there said she's coming to the party. If you, if, if you don't come, she's going to come and she's going to be hotter than you. You're going to get ugly. So you might as well come try this stuff. I wanted my product so fast. I'm like, just, they were like, this girl's got to be crazy. Okay, yeah, let's go. And so we have like, I think there's like 12 people that came. And actually, one of the first people that came was Valerie Edwards, who was on one of your hero calls earlier. Um, yeah, great story. And, yeah, and so she came to that event, and uh, it was, it, I mean, it just went from there. We, we teamed up as a team. We, we didn't know what we had. We didn't know what we wanted. We just, we felt something was right, and we just, um, we loved on each other, and we dreamed together. And I think dreaming with a partner is really important. I think it's really important to have someone who can support you, because when our husbands didn't, our family didn't, uh, we had a lot of, I mean, so, so much of the mind games that we played, you know, when, when, when I know when I would leave to go to a workshop three nights a week, and I'd be driving out of the driveway with my Ford Windstar minivan, and, um, you know, it's not like cat pee because I left my windows down. It was horrible. And I remember just dreaming of, you know, getting a new car, and I saw my son, you know, dragging his head down the the back door crying, saying, don't leave me again. And I'm just thinking, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? What if this doesn't work? 
you know, like I have like $20 in my name right now and I have to go to a stranger's house and I don't even know what's going to happen. And, you know, all those fears that I thought my kids were going to become horrible kids because I wasn't there. And obviously, my 18-year-old son is now a Gen Wire in this business, and he's got teams in five countries, and he's one of the most inspirational speakers I've ever heard. But it's all because I had to get rid of, you know, that, that, that fear, that fear of all, you know, what the ego is telling you. It tells you all the time, you can't do this, you can't do this. You're not worthy enough. Who do you think you are? You know, look at, you know, where you came from. Look at where you are right now. And it's like, it's just lies. They're false illusions. And it just wraps itself around you if you allow it to. And you can say, you know what? I am so tired of playing small. And you know what? I've got something worth giving to this world, and I'm going to give it. And I don't care who tells me no. I don't care how much rejection I get. I'm going to do this if it takes me 10 years to get to the top level, level of the company. And that was the kind of commitment I had. There was no jumping to this company or jumping into that company or jumping to that company. It was like, no, I'm doing it here. Done. Period. I don't know how long it's going to take me, but I'm doing it. Yeah. But it's Christy, what you just said there is uh, one of the, you know, if you, if you study enough people that have actually knocked it out of the park and made it in network marketing, you do find every time some commonality and one of the common themes is just what you said. Everybody who's ever built an empire will say, maybe they won't volunteer it, but if you ask them, they'll, they'll say it convincingly, that when they drew a line in the sand and they decided, you can call it a commitment, you can call it anything you want, but it's just the, it's the quality of decision that won't be denied and won't be deterred and won't be distracted, not even by great adversity or, or um, you know, circumstances or, or failure. And they also make a decision that they're going to do it right here. They're going to do it with this company, even if no one else is doing it. You know, 95% of the people that, that don't make it in this business, one of the reasons they don't is they're waiting for somebody else to break out of the pack and do it, mm-hmm. to give them permission to do it. And everybody who's ever knocked it out of the park made the type of decision that you're talking about where it's, it's like, if it is to be, it's up to me. It doesn't matter what anybody else is going to do. I'm going to be the Roger Bannister. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this company, even if the whole company ends up being me, I'm going to do it no matter what. And I, I love that you articulated that that was part of your process. And I want to ask you, what, what was it you think and, and feel that had you make that kind of decision where other people don't? Well, I would say it was the opportunity that was laying, that was laying before me. Um, when I joined, there wasn't a lot of people that had made it to the top leadership position. And I looked at that as, this is wide open. That was for me, I didn't look at it and say, oh my gosh, it hasn't been done before. Like, you know, I don't know if it's possible. I was like, no, I've seen there's been a few that have done it. And even though it hasn't been done in my state, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that one. And you know, it was, it was just seeing the massive opportunity that was there. And, no, and, and part of it was a lot of times in my life, I quit a lot of things when it got tough, Richard, because I would say, oh, my gosh, this must be a sign. I'm not supposed to do it. Maybe, you know, maybe, oh, yeah, no, that's a sign, and I need to go to this direction. And I knew that that was not working for my life. And so I decided in that moment, you know what, I'm not going to quit before payday. If I get to the top of this company, and if I get there and I don't like it, if it's miserable, then I will quit and I will do something else. But I am not going to walk away from this because this is what I've been waiting my whole life for, and I never knew it. 
That's very powerful. Okay, I want you to tell, tell everybody about something else that you said that's very powerful. You said that maybe the three of you or the two of you, maybe, maybe it was you and Valerie and maybe it was you and Valerie and Linda, you did a lot of dreaming and visualizing in partnership. Tell us about how you did that. What did that look like? How did you get together? Where did you get together? And how did you dream in partnership? Mm, that's great. Can you hear me okay? I took my headphones out. Yeah, better now. Okay. Great, thank you. So while well, it was really everywhere we could, you know, we would actually get excited and share each other's checks with one another. So even though it was a couple of hundred dollars or whatever, we would, we would text each other immediately when it went into our bank account and we would say, so what was your, what was your, okay, so what are you going to go for this month? And we know, and anyone that's been in this business long enough understands that the only why your paycheck increases is because you've added enough value to the world, period. You add more value, you make more money. That's the way it is. You stop adding value, you stop making money. That's the way it is. And so we would be in the sauna. We'd go work out. We'd sit in the sauna, and we would dream about when we could take this vacation or, you know, help, help our husband to stop working or do this or do that. I remember one time Valerie and I were in her – she she did in home daycare, so she watched 10 kids in her basement. And we were in this big tan suburban, and we went through Burger King, and we had all her kids in the back seat, and we couldn't even afford to pay for some burgers for them. We were underneath her seat getting quarters and nickels, and we're, like, laughing, and we just started our own business, and we're saying to each other, one of these days, we're going to be able to just, you know, you know, bring out the cash and not have to worry about it. Like, this happened so many times. Like, we would just laugh about it. Like, I know I went to the grocery store, and I couldn't, I would be so afraid that my, my debit card wouldn't go through. Or I would write a check, and I would, I would give it to them and, and, and just hope that they hadn't found a new technology that would find out that my bank didn't have enough money in it to cover the check I just wrote at that moment. Like, when you're that hungry and you're literally living paycheck to paycheck, like there was never enough money at the end of the month. It created this hunger and this desire because we said to each other, we're doing this no matter what. And we had to hold each other to the flame. You know, you know, if one was down, I remember I called Val one day, and, and I said, what are, you, what are you doing? And she, she had shared she was, you know, whatever she was doing around the house. And, and, I, and, and I said, well, shouldn't you be working now? You just need to put your big girl panties on, and you need to get to work. And that was what my mentor told me. And at first, she had hung up, and she was mad. And the next day, she said that she needed that, and that there's been times I needed it. So there were times that... We had to be that for each other. We had to tell each other, listen, sister, you're not on the right track. What can I do to help you? What are you reading? What are you listening to? You know, um, you know we would just encourage each other that way. So That's beautiful. <clears throat> so uh, connect the dots for people because people might be wondering, how did you go from being a successful model and all of the things you did prior to Arbonne to uh, scrounging for quarters under the seat, did something mm-hmm. happen in your career that was an adversity that that set you back before you got in Arbon? Arbon. Well, I think I think a lot of it really does go back to the worthiness issue. There were so many times I would self sabotage myself. You know, growing up the way I did, which I'm sure we'll talk about that soon. Every time money. Um, you know, became available, I would somehow get rid of it or not have it because it was really uncomfortable for me to receive. Because, like, when you grow up not having it, you know, a lot of times when you get it, you're like, I don't know what to do with it. This is really uncomfortable. And so, you know, I just overextended myself in debt, and um, it was, it was, yeah, it was a struggle. It was definitely a struggle. And, you know, working as a model, especially in the Midwest, um, at that age, you know, you just never know when you're going to get called on a big job. I mean, there's just not a lot of work. When I lived in L.A., yeah, there was more work in L.A., but I wasn't there anymore. So I'm in the Midwest, 
you know, I live in a small town of 5,000 people. I'm doing Midwest modeling and acting. I'm working as a fashion photographer. And a lot of times I would shoot 12 to 15 models in a day a couple of times a month. Um, so it wasn't an everyday thing that I did. It was, um, I we, were yeah, we, were definitely, we were definitely struggling um, as a family okay. financially. All right. Tell us about, um, I know your, your book, Love Out Loud, uh, has some phenomenal stories in it. But tell us some stories about your childhood that, that led you to have these feelings of unworthiness. And then tell us how you transformed those so that you didn't sabotage yourself in Arbonne and you not only manifested great success, but you hung on to it. Hmm. Okay, well, um, my story has been called a rags to riches story. And I'll never forget my first big conference with Arbonne, um, my first year in the business, and I saw the incredible Les Brown on stage. And I remember sitting there, I was in the front row just holding on to every word, and I was like, he said something about him growing up and his mom uh, you know, was on crack and his him and his uh, siblings were left to be hungry. And as I'm hearing this, I'm weeping, and I'm thinking, why is he telling everybody this story? In a way, it was liberating for me, but in a way, I'm just like, you don't talk about that. You don't talk about your, your pain. You don't talk about the past like that. And I had been hiding from my entire past. I had been trying to pretend like I was somebody else. I was wearing a mask everywhere that I went trying to get social approval, trying to prove that Christy Dryling was good enough to be loved. And I remember that yeah. moment making this decision that I want to share my story with the world. But everyone's got a story. No one's going to be inspired by a girl who had the story I had who didn't make something with her story, didn't overcome great odds and ch change hundreds of thousands of millions of people's lives all over the world. So I went on that quest. And that's why I believe I was as successful as I was when I joined the business because I had a quest. The quest was become the best you can be to share your story from stage. And so my mom had me at the age of 15. She was kicked out of school because she was considered a disgrace to the community. We actually lived in a pizza hut behind a parking lot off and on as a kid growing up. I remember waking up and I would literally wipe the dew off the window and I would see the pizza hut sign and we would get out and I'd wash my body off with a cold water hose. We'd get back in the car before policemen would see us because if he would have or she would have, I would have been taken away from my mom. And there were many times we would live in the lake, the lake and we would dig out of cans for trash cans, uh, trash, uh, not trash cans, for cans out of the trash. And we would put them in our pillowcase and we would take them into the grocery store and we would turn them into money so we could pay for gas, so we could pay for food. And my mom actually wound up marrying the manager of the Pizza Hut after she got a job there. She got a job there would mess up pizzas, put them in the car to feed me at night. We'd sit on top of her rooftop on the car at the lake. And she, I remember one time she looked up and she pointed at a star and she said, you see that bright star right there, baby? That's you. And one day you're going to change the world. Now, I was a little girl then, guys. But I had one person who said, I believe in you. You're coming to change the world. Now, after that, my father... And the many fathers after that were drug addictive and abusive. So I watched my mother get beat horrifically. I was beat. I was shot with a gun, you know, on Christmas. I was um, basically the one who took care of the family. As there was cocaine and pot and alcohol everywhere. And I, and I remember being this little girl just thinking, why me? Why? What deck of cards did I get? Why did I get this? And I'll never forget looking at my friends or people around me that had money and they had food and they didn't have to go to the community caring center for their clothes. And I remember looking at them thinking, what did they do right that I did so wrong? 
And it, you know, everything changed, Richard. The year I won um, my my first pageant, my second pageant, my first pageant, I walked out on stage and ruined the production. It was it was it was it was it was hilarious, and I could have just quit and never went back and did it again. But that pageant was really instrumental for me because I had met my biological father for the first time, and he brought me to live um, stay the weekend with him, and. Um, I was at my step-grandmother's house one morning, and I'd always dreamed of being in a beauty pageant. I thought that would be my way out. That would be the way to get my mom and my sisters out of that life. And I saw this ad for the beauty pageant, and my step-grandmother was ironing. I'll never forget, I was on orange shag carpet. The Price is Right was playing, and I'm in the comics. And I saw this ad, and I jumped up, and I went to her, and I said, I said, I want to do this. Look at this. This is my dream. I want to do this. And she looks down at me and she says, well, pageants are only for pretty girls and you are not pretty. And I remember I sat down and I remember the tears just fell from my face and hit the paper. And I believed her. Just like many of you have been told, you're not worthy enough. You're not good enough. You're never going to make it. Who do you think you are? That was what I felt. And I went home my mom that night and I went into my room and I closed the door and she came in and I'm crying and she said what's wrong with you I said mom I'm so sorry I let you down I can't live my dream I'm not good enough and she looked at me and made me tell her what I what happened and she stormed out of my room now I'll tell you my mom's like Aaron Brockovich on steroids I mean she's just she she had she had it together she walked out went to our fridge the only thing we had in there was spam and a red soldier's can and she dumped all the coffee out. She put my picture on it and she said, The future, Miss Junior Kansas America. Christy Dupree. <laughs> and she goes, Baby, we're going to go to every door in this town and we're going to raise enough money for you to be in that pageant. And we did. We raised enough and how'd money. And how to do? That was the one I walked out on the stage and I completely ran the show. <laughs> Um, but I had my step-grandmother there in the audience, and I was so excited to prove her wrong that, yes, I'm going to win this, and I'll never forget, like, messing up so bad that it, I was in, I, I, the, the, the producer, the director of the show, was, had my arm so tight, and she told me I ruined the show. It was so humiliating. And I stood in the bathroom crying and sobbing, and my mom was in there, and she said to me, you know, in my mom's voice, she's like, honey, and I won't say the, what I say in the book, but she says, this is rigged, okay, just so you know. And she goes off, and, you know, but as much as that probably wasn't the best thing to say, it made me feel better. And um, I walked out, and that, that grandmother was there, and I was waiting for her to tell me, you know, I'll oh, see, I told you so, but she never did that. She actually told me I'm proud of you. But then a couple of years later, I earned um, Miss Junior Kansas talent. I played the flute, and I won and went to national. But when I won, that's when everything changed because I won. And I remember winning the crown, and I stood there thinking, anybody, anybody can win. They just have to not stop. Like, this has happened to Christy. Christy... Dupree, the poor girl that's been on welfare her whole life, that's been being who has nothing nice. You know, this has happened to me. And that's when everything changed, Richard. I said, I can, I can do anything, anything in life I want. I've got to believe it. And, and I'll get to it. And that's why I continue to do the things I do. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, 11-year-old, I was standing outside of my yard, and I heard fighting going on, and I looked up, and I said, God, just show me a way to get out of here. Can you show me how to make it right? And I promise you, I'll spend my life teaching the world. And today, I'm holding that promise because this industry has absolutely changed, not just my life, but the thousands of people that I get the honor to stand on the stage or on a call like this. And it gets me so emotional because I think someone cared enough before me when I was a, a network marketer just starting out who had a dream 
someone cared to share their story and their wisdom and their love and their life. And that inspired me to be great. And now I get to be that for someone else. And that torch will be carried on and that legacy will be lived on. That is worth living a great life for. Long after you're gone, your name, your memory, the presence that you had while you were here will always live on. Well, you're speaking to another commonality, Christy, of just about everybody I've ever interviewed, not just in Hero Call, but I've, I've made a habit in my career of interviewing people that are very, very successful in our profession. And, you know, there's, there's a uniqueness in our profession because each one of us that makes that decision to actually move forward and build it no matter what, to move through the distractions, the adversities, the setbacks, and build an empire, by making that decision, we become the window that tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of other people can step through. And without our commitment, without us persevering, those people could have been denied the opportunity because maybe somebody in our organization would have never given them the opportunity. So, you know, it's kind of a, it's a combination between extraordinary commitment, a window of opportunity and geometric progression. Each one of us that goes on to be successful is the window of opportunity for thousands, perhaps tens of thousands. In some cases, hundreds of thousands of people are impacted by one decision. And everybody that I've interviewed that is really successful has, has at some point in their career figured out the obligation and the responsibility of that mm-hmm. to, keep, to keep that window open for people because it's not just your success you're talking about. It, it's, it's always tied to a whole lot of other people. I mean, if you're making $100,000 a month in network marketing, you know, there's uh, 25 to 50,000 people. That's the, you know, that's an entire city that is impacted by your one decision to go forth and make this happen. So let's move, Christy, into uh, something perhaps you won't be emotional about because it's just numbers. But uh, I want people to know your numbers because we look for people that have modeled, whether they knew it or not, when they were doing it, have modeled the four-year career, which is basically to personally enroll enough people in year one and year two and fewer in year three and year four, and then applied leadership to all of those enrollments so that you get into momentum and and drive into some geometric progressions. So your business is now 13 years worth of depth and geometric growth and maturity. And it is doing, ladies and gentlemen, Christie's business does $3.5 million a month in sales, which is, uh, you know, somewhere just over $40 million a year, which is more sales than 90% of all of the direct selling and network marketing companies in the entire profession. (laughs) So you have built an empire. And what I want people to look at is, from a number standpoint, how did you build it? How many people did you personally sponsor your first year, roughly? I'm really, I'm really grateful that you share this, Richard, because I think it is fundamental to our business. I know it's fundamental to our business. What's weird is that I have always done a training with my leaders that talked about those first five years. And I studied my nationals and my success line and, and how many they were sponsoring, what they sponsored in their first couple of years. What we uncovered is that we all sponsored 45-plus people in our first year um, and a little bit into the second year. 
Okay, and then yep. some of them, and the majority of them, actually only sponsored one a year, two a year, every year after that. Uh, for me, because I've been in it for 13 years, I've sponsored 145 over 13 years um, direct to me. And, you know, and, and actually, it, for me, um, I, I, love this, I love our business. I love this industry. How could I ever stop? sharing it when I see someone in the store who's struggling. You know what I mean? That's just the beauty of our business. So, yeah, those, those, are, those numbers are unbelievable to me that you have the same numbers in your four-year career because I've been teaching that for a long time now. So there's got to be some truth and, you know, static to it. Yeah, it is, you know, part of it is is getting a group into momentum, which – uh, and, and part of it is just accessing the ratios. You know, most people that sign up and say, oh, yeah, this looks like fun. I'm going to be your next rising star. They don't have any idea what they just said, and they certainly don't mean it. And when I say mean it, what I mean is they're not prepared to back up what they just said with the integrity that would – honor that statement in the face of distraction and adversity. Those are, when people say things like that, those are what we call decisions of convenience. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, another way to say it is, you know, I'm going to be your next rising star, and I'm telling you that because this all seems like a good idea at the time that I'm saying it. But, you know, as, as soon as their, uh, you know, first seven people quit, or nobody shows up to their first two meetings, all of a sudden it doesn't seem like a good idea at the time. So they just make another decision, which is, uh, I'm not going to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And the reason why, ladies and gentlemen, why you've got to personally sponsor a lot of people in your first year is you've got to, you've got to get the bedrock built from which the geometric progressions can grow. And, and that is is about 40 or 50 people your first year. Because out of those 40 or 50 people, you're likely to only get four or five who honor their word, who honor it through distractions and adversity. And so if you think about it just from a business model standpoint, if the only thing you've got at the end of your first year are four or five people, who are on your team, well, you all still have a lot of work to do, right? And so you can't mess around. You can't go at this at a pace of, well, you know, I'm going to sponsor one person a month, and so at the end of my first year I've got 12 people, because out of those 12 people what you're likely to end up with is nothing. And so you enter, you enter year two with nothing. I don't know anyone in this profession, in a legitimate company that has personally sponsored 100 people in their first two or three years that hasn't gone on to earn twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you have a little bit different formula, but it works out perfectly 45 to 50 your first year, which is the most important year and the most important number. And I'm looking at your sheet here, Christy, and you say you sponsored 10 people the next year. And by the end of your fourth year, you'd sponsored 75 or 80 people. Mm-hmm. And, and what that has resulted in 13 years later is over $40 million a year in sales. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what your sales, the size of your business, Christy, in your fifth year. Do you remember? That's, that's an amazing question, and I will say to you, for those of you that are on and you're thinking, well, I've been in the business for two years, five years, ten years, and I didn't do that, is it too late? When, whenever you decide is a new year, start now. Start now Absolutely. and make and that, you know, 50 people for the next year and make this your starting moment. Um, but so my fifth year, uh, I was doing incredible numbers. I was making um, – a lot of money um, by that fifth year. And what was interesting is I had promoted um, one direct 
um, national vice president to me, and then I promoted, I had made a decision, I'm going to promote 10 direct vice presidents direct to me this year in one year, and I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. But that year I promoted 11, and then I promoted 22 of those. So I really promoted around 22 people at the Mercedes level that year. And um, what was interesting, I was making all this money. I wrote a great book. I was changing, helping kids, doing a lot of philanthropic stuff. And somebody said something to me, and I let it get in my head, and it totally took me out of the game, took me from being focused on moving forward, I, and I pulled myself out of the game for a year. I said, I'm done. I don't want to help anybody anymore. If I have to go live in a car again, I will. I mean, it was, it was such a dark moment for me for that next year. After I was doing, I was literally at nearly probably $4 million a, a month and $5 million a month in sales. So what is it that somebody said to you? We, we all want to know what somebody said to you that took you out of the game for a year. Well, what that somebody, I had, I had spoke at a, um, a major conference and I, you know, just made some, made us a little, um, a funny joke. And our, our, we had somebody at the time who didn't think it was really funny. And I, in my opinion, I took it on as that I have hurt people, you know, and that was never my intention, like that I offended somebody. Like I always wanted to just give my heart and my soul and help people. So anyway, um, it was just, it was exactly what needed to happen to me, Richard, um, because the drop from the penthouse to the outhouse was a real quick one. And when you're there, you know, you, you have to work on a deeper part of yourself. So yep. for me, I was able to overcome all my past, really deal with that, really love myself, be authentic, share another side of myself to be able to dig in and reach into people's hearts. And now my business is bigger. I lost, by the way, I lost uh, all those regions I promoted. I lost them all. So they all left my business. I went down. Yeah, I'm familiar with you had one, one of your largest leaders got recruited by uh, by somebody who recruited her into a competitive company, and you lost a huge chunk of your business, didn't you? Yeah, that, that wasn't even including that, actually. That, there's, that was a whole other moment. That was a part of um, the story where I'm telling you guys, you lose one person, two people, three people, can you lose as much as I have lost and get yourself back up off the ground and get back into the game and say, this isn't going to be the mountain I'm going to die on? Because that was the story I decided. And I think so yeah, you often... Had, Go ahead. You, you had to make two huge declarations in your career, one to start and another one to survive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a pretty dark moment. Like, you know, right when you allow yourself all this negative stuff to come in, it just becomes a runaway train. So then more negative things start to happen. You guys have to cut off the faucet of negativity, okay? It will continue to just invade your life, and you won't attract the things that you're wanting to attract. So you have to just be done. And that was the minute. I remember a year after I was in my Christy crash, I like to call it, I was working out on my elliptical, and I just heard this voice that say, said, you've got to get your act together right now, sister, because you came here to do some major work on this planet and to help people, and if you think this is bad, it's not going to get any better. It will actually get worse, and if it comes in the form of a cancer or a disease or something, something's going to show up, so you better get out there and be selfless and go help this world. And it shook me to my core, Richard, and I was like, that's it. Okay, I'm back in the game. And that meant telling, being vulnerable to people and telling, you know, you know, and what was funny was the perception that I had about what I thought I did. There are top executives in our company now who are, you know, who are stars. And they said they were sitting in that same conference when I spoke, and they said because of my talk, they chose to go back and build their business, and now they're at the top of the company. So I had story after story 
that hearing this, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I heard, this I heard is the, the, same, the same talk where you decided you offended somebody, so you got out of the game. Yes. Why yeah. Well, because, you know, it's just simple communication, you know. Right. We can all listen to somebody say something, and we all hear what we want to hear, and we listen through the filters of our lives, and we make up a different story, all of us, about what somebody said. I'm going to right. switch gears again, Christy, and uh, ask you as we wrap this up, what is the biggest mistake you have ever made in your career that either cost you financially or cost you um, in your health or cost you in your integrity. And maybe it's a mistake you made one time or maybe you made it repeatedly. Tell us that, what it was briefly. I, I think you guys have heard it, listening to the wrong people. And I, you know, I, I think so often we listen to the wrong people. We don't trust that when you make that clear decision that you know what you want, the world's going to line up to get you what you want. You just have to be optimistic. And, 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 and when you take that focus off of others and you put it on me, how much money am I going to make? What title am I going to get to? What kind of car do I get? Guess what? you can enjoy your position for the rest of your life until you change it. So, uh, you know, you, it, switching over to, you know what, everyone's got a story, everyone's got a journey, everyone's got personal development that they have to go through, and I, you know, the more that I fall down, I'm going to master stuff. You want to be a master of this business. You want to learn how to fall over and over and over again because you can't be a teacher, can't be a leader until you do it. So my answer to your question, Richard, is that I just listened to the wrong people and I didn't stick true to my authentic self. And that was I came into this business to make a difference in the world, to make a difference in my family's lives. I needed to stick to it. What do you think that year cost you financially? Oh, oh um, millions. Yeah. Millions. <clears throat> so I have, a, I have a concept for everybody on the call to think about, and normally this applies. It applies to Christie's year that she uh, was in a funk, curled up on the uh, couch. But, but for most people, it applies to them in their first year or even, even their first few months. And this is a conversation you can have with people who are choosing to procrastinate. They have to be kind of a rational thinker to understand this concept. But let's say you have somebody that is going to uh, not get started powerfully for a, their first year. So you enroll them in the business, and they say they're going to do it. But for the first year, they have lots of distractions. They have lots of excuses. They're getting around to it. They're getting the perfect system in place. They're getting all the training they need before they actually – you know, get after it and do what you've coached them to do. And let's say it takes somebody a year before they actually kick in gear and get going. And I know this has happened to a lot of people on the call with people you've sponsored. It's taken them three months to get going or six months or a year or in some cases maybe two or three years. And here's what people that wait, here's what people that either don't get in the game or in Christie's case, get out of the game, may not realize about the price of procrastination in the face of the eighth wonder of the world. Einstein declared that compounding, or geometric progressions as we use it in wealth building, was the eighth wonder of the world. And when you apply procrastination to compounding or geometric progression. Here's how it plays out economically. If you wait a year to get started, like, and how I mean this is get started on the pace of personally sponsoring three or four people a month. If it takes you a year to figure out that that's what you have to do, to figure out how to do it, to figure out how to get motivated to do it, 
then it, here's what it costs you. If you could step back and look at your entire career in network marketing and find your highest level of income in one year. So let's say you have a 20-year career in network marketing and your highest level of income is a half a million dollars. By delaying your start one year, you push that half a million dollar a year income out one year away from you, and you can never recapture it. And guess how much the year of procrastination costs you? A half a million dollars. And that doesn't even take into account the geometric progressions of the organization you could have built based on that year. It's just pushing one year's of income away from you. But Christy, you're very astute to realize that that year of being in the, in the funk, it didn't cost you a couple of hundred thousand dollars. It didn't cost you not winning some contests. It cost you millions of dollars in wealth building. And hats off to you that you got off the couch and or off the treadmill and got a hold of yourself and changed the conversation. Now, what's the smartest thing you've done in your network marketing career that has, has been either the, the best wealth-building strategy or perhaps the most fulfilling thing that you've done strategically? Hmm. That's a really great question. Uh, you know, I would say uh, always sharing the opportunity before sharing the products. I, sh I love the products. Um, I think all network marketing companies have great products. But I think people will often, um, they'll go and share products and never talk about the opportunity. And they have no idea what's going on in that person's life. So I like to share the, 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 the business. I like to share the product. Because why should we ever play God or judge and like tell people, you know, or, or assume that they already have all the money they need? You know? I mean, it's just so a perception how, that... How do you do that? In a company oh. that's very product-focused mm -hmm. with a product, that generally is shared with women and the condition of their skin is a really, really emotional issue with women, how do you lead with the opportunity? Well, first and foremost, if I'm out and about and I meet somebody who just really stands out for me, I will say to them, I'm so grateful for you today. You've been amazing. I, I don't know if you're open to a new opportunity, but would you be open to me sharing something with you? And we always exchange information. And when I sit with them, I want to know who they are. I want to know what their wildest dreams are. I want to know what they wish they could have done when they were little and what they wish they could have done last year. I want to know what their desires are. And when I can understand what it is they desire and what they crave for living life, and they can feel my authenticity, Richard. I mean, it's, I, I don't show up with dollar signs thinking, okay, this is going to be my next consultant, and they're going to get me a trip. I'm, I'm truly seeing them, and we devise a plan for them. You know, we make sure they love the products, share the products, but they also share the opportunity. So I just, that's the way I do it. I do it from the heart, wholehearted. You know what? And I've been, at times I've said, you know what, I don't think this is right for you. I think that you would be better off over here. I've done that before. Yeah, that's awesome, Christy. Uh, a question I like to pose to people to have them get the validity and the beauty of that philosophy is this rhetorical question or hypothetical question, what do you think everybody you're ever going to meet for the rest of your life will be more interested in? The most incredible, and then you can fill it in with organic Swedish skincare line, 
God himself ever imagined and created or an extra $1,500 a month. Mm-hmm. What do you think they're more interested in? And everybody gets it at that point that even though people really want and need exceptional products, it, doesn't, it, it pales in comparison to how bad they're hurting financially. And a lot of times that's just not, you know, cash flow not being able to meet their, their need, needs. A lot of it is just worry. It's, you know, what if I get laid off? What if I get sick? You know, how am I going to meet my obligations? How am I ever going to retire? How am I going to get this debt paid off? The worry crushes people. Mm-hmm. And whether it's $500 a month or $5,000 a month, um, you know, with money, people can buy the most extraordinary product in all categories of their life much more powerfully. I love that answer. I believe wholeheartedly uh, that it's one of the reasons you have such a huge organization and you've moved through adversity is you've got a team of people that get it, that you have phenomenal products, but what the product you have that's far more impactful than beautiful skincare is wealth building and, and, or, or even just enough money to lift people out of living in their car. You know, everybody has some form of living in their car that's a metaphor for people. And some and people are living in their cubicle, you know. They're living in their cubicle. They don't see their family, Richard. It's like we live in a society where no one has time for each other, you know. Yeah. It's far. We have an answer for that. We do. Christy Greiling. Uh, <laughs> Christy, uh, beautiful call, great philosophies, phenomenal story. I encourage all of you. Uh, to grab Christy's book, uh, Loving Out Loud, and read the story of her life. And uh, I guarantee you'll be uh, moved that if she can do it, you certainly can do it. And if Linda Lovelace had the courage to, to introduce Christy to this opportunity, given what her life seemed to be like in terms of success, then you can introduce it to anyone you know. Christy, can you wrap this up for about like one minute? What would you like to tell people in the final minute, if you only had a minute to make the difference in their career, like if you only had a minute to to tell them whatever they need to hear so that five or ten years from now, what they say is, you know what, I was on a conference call or I was listening to an iTunes podcast, this gal named Christy Dryling, I have no idea who she is, but she said this and it changed everything for me. What would you say to them? Richard, I would tell them about a story uh, that occurred, that happened to me years ago. I was, uh, every time I travel in an airport, I always go with the intention of please put people before me that will inspire me or that I'll inspire them. And so I was sitting on this Southwest flight waiting patiently in my seat as everyone was coming on. And as you know, Southwest, you don't get assigned seats. I saw this man come on and he was in this pink shirt and he was smiling, just vibrating love and energy, positive energy. And I thought to myself, I hope he sits by me. And he comes and he sits by me, and I'm like beside myself. During this whole plane ride, we're talking about life and the philanthropic and pursuits that we all desired and the ones that he's done, you know, just what it means to live. And at the end of the flight, I said to him, so if you could share with me any words of wisdom that I could take with me in my life, what would you share with me? And he stops for a moment, and he says, Christy, I believe that when I die, and I go to heaven, there's going to be three big flat screen TVs. The one on the left is going to be a reel of all the things I've done wrong. And unfortunately, I'm going to be standing there for a really long time. The one on the right is going to be a reel of all the things I've done right. And unfortunately, I won't be standing there quite as long. 
but the one that will blow me away, it'll be the longest one of them all. He said it's going to be the one in the middle, and it's going to be a reel of all the opportunities I could have taken that I never took. And he had me speechless. So what opportunities, my friends, are you not taking? Which people are you choosing to allow to walk by you and they never hear the whisper of this opportunity because you were too afraid to get outside of your comfort zone, because you were too afraid of what they might say, because you were too afraid of rejection. Get out of your way so that the real, at the end of your life, isn't one of regrets. Live with no rocking chair regrets. Thank you, Richard. Beautiful, Christy. Thank you. Thank you, everybody from around the world. Have a great night. Good night, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Richard Bliss Brooks Network Marketing Heroes Podcast. For more invaluable training tools, such as audios, videos, and of course his best-selling books, The Four-Year Career, and Mach 2 with Your Hair on Fire, head to blissbusiness.com. For 10% off your order, use discount code HERO at checkout. If you're serious about building your business, make sure to subscribe to Richard's blog for all the latest tools and articles. 